Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, June 21st, 2018. You may hear some lawn uh, machinery operating in the background. It's lawn day here at the Nefarium Central, so um, don't let that bother you. Tomorrow, we do have a members vid chat for the European African time zone members that will start... Uh, Posted time is 2 o'clock U.S. Central Time. I'll be, as usual, in the pre-chat room early, and most likely we will start the actual chat early, but that will be tomorrow. Uh, the other update I want to uh, bring everybody up to speed on is Catherine Fitz and I last weekend recorded her second quarterly wrap-up at uh, Solari.com. That should be appearing both on her website and on this website pretty soon. Um, they do have to do the video uh, or audio editing and do the transcript for it. But uh, it was an all-day session. <coughs> Pardon me. We talked about a lot of things, one of them being Korea, which is what I want to talk about today. There's been some interesting articles uh, one of the facts here that I'm going to bring out today has, was known prior to the Kim-Trump summit in Singapore. I do want to talk a little bit about that fact today. And what I think, and it's purely my own uh, speculation as to what I think may be going on and what may be in the cards, uh, because behind the scenes I've been maintaining that it's not just the United States and North Korea that have been watching this development and that have been deeply involved. It's both China, Russia, and Japan that have been involved in this whole situation. Now, one of the articles I've referenced for you in the uh, YouTube video, which when I post, you'll see the article links, is an article by the Xinhua News Agency in Beijing. It's standard communist boilerplate, if you can stomach. I mean, it reads like the Pravda of yesteryear. It's not the it's not the usual um, it's not the usual tone that Xinhua has had in recent years. But I want to read some paragraphs from this that kind of document what I have been thinking is going on behind the scenes. And this is from that Xinhua article, quote, Xi, that's Xi Jinping, said that socialism with Chinese characteristics has entered a new era. The Communist Party Central Committee and the people of all ethnic groups in China are closely united around the CPC Central Committee to strive for the achievement of the two centenary goals in the Chinese dream of the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. China is willing to share its in, uh, experience with the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, that would be North Korea, and strengthen unity and cooperation to jointly create a better future for the socialist cause of the two countries, said Xi. Kim said the two countries are as close and friendly as a family and help each other, adding that Xi has offered affectionate care and support for the DPRK people. The current visit to China has served, this is talking about the current visit of Kim Jong-un to China, has served as an opportunity to deepen the friendship between the Comrade General Secretary and I and advance DPRK-China ties. 
He vowed to work with the Chinese comrades to upgrade bilateral ties to a new high and pay their due roles in safeguarding the world and regional peace and stability. Kim said he believed that under the strong leadership of the CPC Central Committee with Xi at the core and the guidance of Xi Jinping and his thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era, the Chinese dream of the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation will definitely be realized. In other words, he's kissing you-know-what and telling us in uh, behind all that boilerplate, in my estimation, that China had a great deal to do with the Singapore summit and some of the pledges of denuclearization that we saw going on there. Now, that deal, obviously, as... Uh, Trump has indicated uh, that deal is dependent on actual behavior, actual results. But there's something else going on behind the scenes here, and I want to draw your attention to a much more important article that appeared on the Sakers website, and in particular the some of the opening paragraphs and closing paragraphs because uh, this plays into my reading of what may be actually be in the cards, the long-term strategic goal here that uh, all, the, all the major powers in the region, Russia, China, United States, and Japan, are really up to. So here we go. Uh, the article is titled Sexy Metal, the Missing Element in the Korean Puzzle, and it's an article by Pepe Escobar. This was uh, posted originally on the Asia Times. It was picked up on the Sakers website, and I've linked the Sakers website version of this story. So let me read the opening paragraphs here. The U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, knows the importance of rare earth elements, and North Korea has reportedly found one of the world's biggest deposits 150 kilometers from Pyongyang. And this is another factor behind the recent thaw with the, and is this another factor behind the recent thaw with the U.S.? This may not be about condos on North Korean beaches after all. Arguably, the heart of the matter in the Trump administration's embrace of Kim Jong-un has everything to do with one of the largest deposits of rare earth elements in the world located only 150 kilometers northwest of Pyongyang and potentially worth billions of U.S. dollars. All of the implements of 21st century technology-driven everyday life rely on the chemical and physical properties of 17 precious elements on the periodic chart known as rare earth elements. Currently, China is believed to control over 95% of global production of rare earth metals with an estimated 55 million tons in deposits. North Korea, for its part, holds at least 20 million tons. Rare earth elements are not the only highly strategic minerals and metals in this power play. The same deposits are sources of tungsten, zirconium, titanium, hafnium, rhenium, and molybdenum, all of these are absolutely critical not only for myriad military applications, but also for nuclear power. Rare earth metallurgy also happens to be essential for U.S., Russian, and Chinese weapons systems. The THAAD system needs rare earth elements, so do Russia's S-400 and S-500 missile defense systems. 
Now, let me skip a bit here um, and jump towards uh, the end of the article, or rather towards the middle, where it points out, quote, this applies, for instance, to the Ukraine puzzle. Russia badly needs the Ukraine's titanium, zirconium, and hafnium for its military-industrial complex. And now, skipping down toward the end of the article, Metals are certainly sexy for U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. It's quite enlightening to remember how Pompeo, then CIA director, told a Senate committee in May of 2017 how foreign control of rare earth elements was a very real concern. Fast forward to one year later when Pompeo, taking over at the State Department, emphasized a new swagger in U.S. foreign policy. And fast forward again to only a few weeks ago with Pompeo's swagger applied to meetings with Kim Jong-un. Way apart from a Netflix-style plot twist, a quite possible narrative is Pompeo is impressing Kim on the beauty of a sweet U.S.-brokered rare earth elements deal. But China and Russia must be locked out. And please note that supposition. Or else... It's not hard to visualize Xi understanding the implications. The Democratic People's Republic of Korea, this unique mix of Turkmenistan and post-USSR Romania, may be on the cusp of being integrated to a vast supply chain via an iron silk road with the Russia-China strategic part partnership simultaneously investing in railways, pipelines, and ports in parallel to the North-South Korea Special Economic Zones. Please note that. That's crucial. Chinese style coming to fruition. As Gazprom's deputy CEO Vitaly Markilov has revealed, quote, the South Korean side has asked Gazprom. Let me repeat that. As Gazprom's deputy CEO Vitaly Markilov has revealed, the South Korean side has asked Gazprom to restart a key project a gas pipeline across North Korea, an umbilical cord between South Korea and the Eurasian landmass, unquote. Now, that's important because I've pointed out that the deals that Shinzo Abe, the prime minister of Japan, and Russia have been inking are in large part, in my opinion, due to the fact that Japan wants access to those energy reserves that Russia has in Siberia. And for Japan, it's a much closer, much more secure source of energy than getting energy from the Middle East. So I, I suspect that behind South Korea wanting to uh, ink this deal with Gazprom, that the nod and the wink came not only from Washington, but from Tokyo. And there's that little line in there about the... Uh, South Korean spe special North South Korean special economic zones. That, folks, is exactly what I think is happening here. I think behind the scenes, and, and again, I'm crawling way out onto the limb of speculation here, but I suspect that the Kim Trump summit occurred because China told Kim it's time to, to patch things up. We need to integrate the peninsula. We need to create, and here's what I think is going on with the blessing of Mr. Putin, Mr. Xi, Mr. Trump, and uh, Mr. Abe. I think what they're trying to do is create the conditions for an eventual reunification of Korea as a kind of 
if I can put it this way, neutral economic zone where all four powers have rights and access to those rare earth metals. Everybody is trying to avoid a conflict and work things out. Now, China doesn't really need those rare earth metals. Russia does, the United States does, and Japan does. And that's a combination and weight that I don't think that the Chinese can stand up to. And I think the, the, the strong tariff uh, threats, the trade war threats that Mr. Trump has been uttering against China are all part of this game. So I suspect, my long-term suspicion here, folks, really is that they are trying to figure out a way where everybody can benefit. They're trying to create a win-win situation for everybody, for South Korea, North Korea, and especially for the four interested powers trying to get access to these assets. Now, the interesting thing is um, the cash-rich countries, all four of them are cash-rich to a certain extent and are able to assure Mr. Um, Mr. Kim that they can build out these resources. It will be interesting to see what sort of economic or financial arrangement, if my hypothesis is true, and folks, it's wild speculation, but I think this is really what's going on here. Um, it will be interesting to see what sort of financial arrangements that they work out if that hypothesis is true. What is going to be the currency that will be used to do that if indeed all four powers are involved? I suspect that you might see some sort of agreement, if I'm correct, and that's a big if, but I suspect you might see some sort of agreement between the United States and China for the use of both dollars and renminbi. We'll see. Now, the other hypothesis is that the United States is simply trying to lock China out of any control or influence over those rare earth fields. In that case, what you have is basically a U.S.-Russia-Japan uh, triumvirate working behind the scenes to lock China out of those out of control of those rare earth metals. Now, again, that would be to Russia's benefit because they cannot afford a Chinese monopoly over those things, particularly, as the article pointed out, since they've been locked out of the Ukraine. The same thing holds true for Japan, and certainly the same thing holds true for the United States. So in that view, the summit meeting between Mr. Xi and Mr. Kim that's now taking place or just recently took place is a bit of very careful diplomacy on Mr. Kim's part. And again, the language that he's using, the, the almost uh, obsequious language that he's using, as reported by the Xinhua News Agency, stands to reason. He's trying to walk a very, very careful diplomatic tightrope. So those two hypotheses, I think, are working in the background here. Time will tell. This is not going to be something where we're going to be able to tell overnight. This is going to work itself out over the next two to five years as more details actually get hammered away with that deal that was supposedly inked in, in Singapore. So there's going to be steps forward. There will be steps backward. So again, it's the overall pattern over the next few years that I think we have to look at. Now, if I'm correct, I suspect what you're going to see is summit meetings between the leaders of South Korea, Japan, and Russia. If that second hypothesis is correct, 
And if that's the case, lawnmower outside, guys, if that's the case, you're also going to see ministerial exchanges at lower levels, ministerial contacts between South Korea, Russia, and Japan, and the United States. So those are little things to watch for if that second hypothesis is true. If the first hypothesis is true, watch for the same thing, but also to include China. So something big, I think, is in the works in Korea. The Singapore summit uh, was just kind of bit, a bit of window dressing on what I think may be a much deeper story behind the scenes here. This is one to watch, folks. All right, that'll do it for this week's news and views. Again, a reminder, folks, we do have the uh, European African Members Time Zone vid chat tomorrow at 2 p.m. Uh, I hope that we'll see everybody there. We're trying to get um, our membership up, so please send in the questions. If you, if you want to participate, you do not have to be present in the vid chats to send in questions. So if you want to steer the vid chats in a certain way, I'm totally there to respond to questions. Uh, I don't set the agenda. So please send in your questions, comments if you have them. And I'll see everybody tomorrow. Anyway, that's it for today's news and views. This is one to watch, folks. I'll see you on the flip side, and God bless.